other mic. Cool, guys. Good morning. So, if I had a time machine and I could go back like 10 years and tell a younger version of myself something, I would tell him to buy Bitcoin. I'm joking. <laughs> well, I'm not telling him that in passing. But I think, more importantly, I feel, is that I would tell him that the years will go by frighteningly quickly. And the time that we have with the meaningful relationships that we have is really ultimately limited. But can any of you guys relate to me here today? I still remember the days when I was in high school with some of you guys, like it was last week. But now we're all grown up, we're all officially adults, and our parents look way older. They're still around. And many of us have moved on to new seasons in life. Some people, even whole groups and communities that we were once close to or even loved had come and gone. Sometimes it's just by virtue of circumstances, people move away, people just grow apart. And as we move on to new seasons in life, we simply cannot maintain the same sort of relationships that we had before, right? We have less time, we're living a different lifestyle. Just doesn't work anymore. And then, eventually, at the end of our days, we'll be forcibly torn apart by this thing called death that will come for us all. Sometimes quite tragically and suddenly. The pandemic years, right, have really hammered home this reality for us. Because this is just the heartbreaking reality of living in a world that's fallen into sin and is subject to death. Eventually, we will have to say goodbye to everyone. In fact, it's actually even a blessing if we do get to say goodbye. And as the great American philosopher John Mayer says, we're never going to stop this train. In light of that, I would tell a 20-year-old Sam 20 years ago to invest in relationships instead of stuff. To be present and actually show love to the people whom you love. To leave nothing unresolved and as best as you can do right by them so that I, in the future, right now, would have no regrets when we eventually go our separate ways. Because we really cannot know how much time we have with the people that we love. So the question is then, right, given that the time that we have with the people we love is really limited, and if we agree one of the most worthwhile investments we can make in our lives is in these relationships that we have, as Christians, how do we invest in the meaningful relationships in our lives in such a way that makes the most of the limited time that we have. In other words, what should be the legacy that we leave for the loved ones who will eventually we have to leave? And the text that we'll be studying today will speak directly into this. So we'll be picking up in our series on the book of Acts and we'll be studying the rest of chapter 20 this morning. We were up to chapter, uh, I mean, verse 12. A couple of weeks ago, today we're going to read the rest of it. And if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, this was amongst Paul's farewell tour to the churches in the Roman province of Asia. This is the last time Paul will ever get to see the leaders of these churches in person. Paul knew that after this, he was going to go to Jerusalem where there will be affliction and perhaps even death waiting for him. So we'll be focusing on what, as far as we know, is... Paul's last words to the elders of the Ephesian church that he's ministered to for three years 
a community with whom he's had a close relationship and has poured his heart and soul into. So let's read this text. It's going to be a little bit of a longer reading than usual this morning. But as we're reading this text together, I want to encourage all of us to try to get a sense of Paul's heart here and really feel what Paul is trying to communicate these le- to these leaders. Okay, so let's read together our text taken from Acts Chapter uh, chapter 20, verse 13 and following. This is the word of God. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite of Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos, And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived amongst you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks the repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that some, that none of you among whom I have gone out proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom, will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of all blood, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care of the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who are with me. And all these things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with all of them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. 
They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Brothers and sisters, from Paul's famous last words to the Ephesian church, we can see that although he is leaving with much sorrow, Paul left them having given everything and having no regrets. And in our text, we can see that at least there are at least three things that Paul mentions in his speech that gave him peace by the time he had to depart, which teaches us that there are these three things that we can also have that will give us a legacy worth living. Our three points for the sermon today are limited time when the people will love is well spent when, point one, we have embodied the gospel in our lives. Point two, we have equipped them for the trials ahead. And point three, we can entrust them to the one who loves them most of all. Okay, let me repeat that. Our limited time with the people that we love is well spent when one, we have embodied the gospel in our lives. Two, we have equipped them for the trials ahead. And three, we can entrust them to the one who loves them most of all. So I encourage you to leave your Bible open uh, and follow along with me today as I will be repeatedly referring to the text and may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. So point one, our limited time with the people we love is well spent when we have embodied the gospel in our lives. So, if we pick up the story of Paul in verse 13, he just left Troas where he delivered uh, his final sermon there, and there was this whole incident of this kid falling to death from the third story. We talked about that two weeks ago. And so, in verses 13 to 16, we saw Paul continue his travels through some cities in what is modern-day Turkey, eventually ending up in this place called Miletus, and we're told clearly there his final destination in verse 16 was Jerusalem where Paul was actually carrying a significant amount of money to give them some alms that he's collected from the churches there. However, because he was a bit pressed for time, because he wanted to give them these alms before Pentecost, he couldn't visit Ephesus for one last time, though he spent a significant amount of time there and developed significant relationships there. But he still wanted to see the people he's mentored and served for three years from one last time. So Paul called them to the city uh, called Miletus, 72 kilometers away. Now, notice what Paul points out in his speech starting in verse 18. That from day one, from since he began ministering to them, what characterized his ministry has always been trials and tears. And guess what does he say? His future in Jerusalem hold. Even worse, trials and tears in the form of afflictions and imprisonment, right? And Paul isn't trying to throw himself a pity party here, right? He doesn't see himself as a victim at all. Rather, what he emphasizes is the fact that he repeats in verse 20 and 27, that in the face of all these trials, he did not shrink. Meaning that in the face, under the threat of suffering and persecution that we've seen him constantly have to deal with as we study Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, he was never discouraged. He was never dissuaded from his mission, but he kept on going. 
Paul always had and always will continue to persevere and fulfill his mission until the end of his days to declare to God's people that which is profitable to God's people, the whole counsel of God. And Paul wasn't pointing this out to kind of show off about this mamba mentality he had about ministry, to present himself as someone who has enough willpower to not let anything stop him and to go through whatever he needs to go through to get things done. Rather, what he wants to point us to is the one who made him able to persevere through these trials. Notice how he repeatedly emphasizing this, that he was not doing his ministry for himself. Verse 19 says that Paul is serving the Lord. Verse 22 says that Paul was constrained by the Holy Spirit. He was captivated. He cannot do anything otherwise than what the Holy Spirit has compelled him to do. And in verse 24, it says that the ministry he received was from the Lord Jesus. And there's plenty more of that. We study our text even more closely, but we get the point, right? That it was because Paul's heart has been so captured by God because he's been so moved by the gospel and he's seen and experienced himself the power of the gospel to transform wretched sinners like himself, like ourselves. The precious, beloved children of God was he willing to go all in and to give all that he had to serving this God and self-sacrificially loving his people. Friends, although for most of us, imprisonment and affliction might not be what threatens us usually as we try to follow the Lord but if we actually try to be like Jesus and serve people trials and tears are part of the deal even the people who we love the most and we try hardest to serve might not always appreciate what we do for them and it can feel like there's always someone who complains, there's always something that's wrong, which is normal to get things wrong from time to time. We're imperfect, limited humans, right? We make mistakes. But even worse, it can sometimes feel like people just want us to serve them and are taking advantage of us. And actually, the more we love someone or a community, the more we actually want to serve well and make a difference in their lives. But the times that we actually see that happening can be few and far between. Have you guys felt this way before? Because imitating Christ, the sinners, like ourselves, is often a tiring and thankless endeavor. And while on the one hand, it does make us appreciate what Jesus did for us all the more, Yet we are so often, aren't we, confronted by the reality that we are not Jesus or Paul and is capable of that kind of patience and perseverance. And so quitting often becomes quite tempting. So like Paul, right, the conviction that we are serving God, loving the Lord who would give his life for his people is the only thing that is strong enough to give us this consistent and lasting source of motivation to keep us going. The worldly rewards of our work and the human responses and affirmations that we get for our efforts are just much too unreliable. Only the love of Christ can give us this firm foundation. And now perhaps you're thinking, well, I do love the Lord. I am 
willing at least to try to serve him in all areas of my life by loving others and so on. And when this inevitably gets hard to do, we try to reminding ourselves that we're doing this for God, but somehow we just still feel burnt out. We might be able to go through the motions and will ourselves to fulfill our responsibilities, be it in our jobs, be it in our families, be it in our church, but the joy is just often no longer there. And these acts of service feel just like a responsibility instead of this rewarding thing that we actually get to do. Have you guys felt that way before? So how do we come back from that? Well, I think our text gives us a clue of, of at least one thing that we can reflect on that can help us to do this. And that's in verse 24. We see Paul actually use financial language to describe his life. Right? He says he does not account his life of any value. That word value there is uh, something like an asset right, or your net worth. And he says that the value of his life is found only if he may finish the course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus that testified to the gospel of grace of God. Do you notice what Paul is saying there? He's saying that when it's all said and done, at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, what will matter to him, what Paul will look back on to, that will make him feel like his life is worth living, is that he has finished the race. He has run and completed this marathon and in doing so has testified to the gospel of the grace of God. Later in verses 33 and 34, Paul reinforces this by saying he's coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel, but by his own hands he's ministered to his necessities and to those who are with him. So what Paul was ultimately after was not any earthly possession, not any kind of prestige or fame, but in the fact that at the end of the day, he has ministered, he has been a blessing, and he has just reflected a bit, a dim shadow of what God has given to us in abundance. Friends, the measure of a faithful life it's not in numbers, nickels, or noise, but, it's, but in faithfulness, as one of my seminary professors hammered into me. I remember three years ago, I attended one of the saddest funerals of my life, right? It was a friend around my age, and he had it all. He came from a very successful family, provided everything he could possibly want from the world, and he was a real bright guy with a future that was looking bright. And he passed way too soon, suddenly. And I remember in his funeral, we sang this Indonesian hymn, right? That hidup ini adalah kesempatan. You guys know it, and that's all I'm going to sing from that. But, you know, in English, it translated as this life, our life, is a chance. And the chorus can be translated something like, Oh Lord, use my life while I still have strength. And if the time comes when I'm no longer able, may my life have already been a blessing. It hit me when we were singing that hymn as I saw the look of extremely successful parents who's made the most of their life, at least in a career and a financial sense, would be willing to give everything 
to have their child back and on the other hand this great potential that will never be realized hit me that although our lives will one day end that the houses we build will crumble that the money we earn will be spent that one of the most precious gifts that God has given us are the people around us who love us and we really don't know how many more chances we get to be a blessing to them to love them like Christ loved us so we right now as we're still breathing actually get a chance to embody the gospel to them there is nothing more meaningful and Paul certainly lived this out and he wanted the Ephesian leaders he was le leaving to fully understand this because he knows that they needed to be prepared as after he leaves life isn't about to get any easier for them and appreciating the surpassing value of the gospel they are trying to live out is the only foundation of hope that is strong enough for them to stand on as they stay alert to watch over the people of God, which is point two. Our limited time with the people we love is well spent when we have equipped them for the trials ahead. Let's notice how after Paul announced to them that he will not see them again, he reaffirms to them that he is leaving them not with fear, but with confidence. This is what the phrase in verse 26 means, innocent of the blood of all. This is an allusion to a prophecy in Ezekiel where there's this watchman who were sounding the trumpets of war and was giving a people a warning. Therefore, the people who failed to heed that warning is responsible for their own blood and the watchman himself is innocent. So Paul is washing his hands here of responsibility. Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders, that he has fulfilled the responsibility and he's done all that he can for them. And now they're in a position where they need to be responsible for themselves. Which leads Paul to his final instruction to the leaders of this church. Pay careful attention, he says in verse 28. And again, be alert in verse 31. This is the same instructions, but there are at least two notable nuances in this text which Paul brings out, it says first, it is who we are to pay careful attention to, right? He says pay careful attention to ourselves and to all the flock. Take note that although we do have to take care of others, right? especially Paul is saying here, our brothers and sisters in Christ, but equally important is that we need to take care of ourselves. And it's interesting that Paul places that first. Because the reality is that although we're not supposed to be doing everything on our own and although we are deeply interrelated to other people and have to depend on each other to some degree, what is also true is that we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves too. We can't just punt and defer the responsibility of our personal and spiritual well-being on others. Because the fact is, none of us can adequately care for others if we neglect caring and nurturing for ourselves. Now, I re realize that we might be in different places with regards to the degree we can nurture and care for ourselves at a particular time, right? And the Holy Spirit does work with each of us personally in this process. But nonetheless, it stands true that there is an aspect of this partnership 
that we are personally responsible for. And the reason why we have to care for ourselves and for the family of God, which we are a part of, if you haven't noticed, is stated in verse 28. That we are all part of the church of God that He obtained with His own blood. Friends, how precious do you think you are in the eyes of God? How precious do you think is the person sitting next to you right now is in the eyes of God? At least precious enough that He would leave the glory of heaven to come to earth and to die for us, to redeem us with His precious blood. Our Lord, creator of heaven and earth, spared nothing so that He can have us and love us. That's why the Bible talks about God's people as His treasured possession. And it is not the greatest expression of love to someone to take care of the people whom they love. Right? You parents would know this right now, I believe. Right? How great do you feel when you see someone else, one of your friends, show love to your kids too? That's why. When Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him in John 21, and Peter answered yes three times, three times Jesus told him in effect that if that's true, tend to my sheep. So we cannot love God without taking care of his flock, and that includes ourselves. And this is why this is such an urgent task, which is the second nuance that Paul points us to from this text. Because God's flock is actually under threat. And the scary thing is that these threats come from outside of the church and inside. In verse 29 it says that after he leaves, Paul, I mean fierce wolves will come among God's flock and not spare them. He's pointing here the reality that there has always been and will always will be forces and institutions outside of the church that are against it and are trying to stop it and are trying to destroy it. Right, then again, right, for most of us right now in Jakarta, year 2022, that's not going to be in the form of violence or imprisonment, most likely, like it was in Paul's day. But it's not hard to see that today's world, today's media, pushes an agenda and a worldview that is antithetical to what the Bible teaches. Right, even something as innocent as a Disney cartoon or a superhero movie that we freely consume and is meant for our children is openly advocating ideals that are simply not compatible with what the Bible teaches. Not saying that watching you know, secular media or these things is necessarily sinful. I'm just pointing out that even the media pointed towards children are making it harder for us to raise them with Christian values. And if we express these disagreements, these values openly, what happens nowadays? We get canceled. People will try to silence us. People will alienate us and label us as being prejudiced or backwards, trying to make us question whether or not what we believe is even reasonable or moral. Right? It's a hostile world out there. But even worse, in my opinion at least, Paul prophetically warns us that from amongst yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things, drawing the disciples after them. There he was talking about false teachers that, are, that have always existed and will continue to threaten the church. 
people who will claim to speak for Christianity, people who say that they are following Jesus, but what they ultimately do is twist the Word of God and twist the doctrines of grace to justify their own agenda. People being labeled as pastors and theologians who will happily use the Bible and proof text from it and can say things that sound good and make us feel encouraging and feel good about ourselves, yet are insidiously trying to lure us away from the gospel of grace, moving towards self-improvement, towards human flourishing, instead of a relationship and understanding of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So in the light of these threats, how do we care for God's beloved church? Well, one thing we can do is follow the example of Paul. In verse 27, emphasize that the reason why he feels innocent of the blood of all is because he has declared the whole council that includes that the kingdom of God is open to all people of all nations, tribes, and tongues, regardless of their background, regardless of what they have, regardless of the baggage they have to carry in their lives, but also at the same time we need repentance towards sins, towards God, and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that can save us. You see, knowing holistically the will of God will lead us to truly understand the heart of God. And it is this assurance, this Holy Spirit-given assurance that will guard us from all of the threats that, are, that will come from inside and outside of the church. And in verse 31, Paul points out that he poured his heart and his soul into trying to prepare him to do this. For three years, day and night, admonishing them with tears. Friends, this brings into view the reality that the task of caring for God's people that we are all called to is indeed a backbreaking and emotionally taxing labor. It's really hard takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort. But as Paul sees himself doing, it is eternally meaningful. The most meaningful thing you can do with your life, according to the Bible at least. And perhaps we feel inadequate for the task, right? It's hard enough to watch over ourselves, let alone other people. And we might not have the expertise to understand the whole counsel of God or declare it faithfully or we see flaws in our lives still that we fear might have a negative impact towards those we are caring for. Because of that, God has given us each other, right? With different gifts. Paul talks a lot about this in his letters. Gifts that are supposed to serve one another and, and, and to be used to complete one another because Part of the function of the church is to cover for each other's flaws and failures right? by caring for and being cared for by the family of God. But most importantly, what gives us the comfort and the confidence to serve one another is that the success of God's church, the survival and flourishing of God's beloved people that He purchased with His blood, it's not ultimately up to us. There is only so much we can do, but in fact, we can rest assured that there is one who loves us in a much better way than Paul, than Paul or any human being can.
Just point three. Our limited time, the people we love, is well spent when we can entrust them to the one who loves them most of all. Brothers and sisters, at the end of Paul's ministry, although he has given everything he possibly can to them, he knows that even this is not enough. He cannot stop the forces that threaten them with his power, and he cannot ensure that their faithfulness in the midst of trials will be there. But nonetheless, he does not leave feeling discouraged because he knows at the end of the day, these leaders of the church will make it because they have received the one thing that will empower them to persevere to the end. That's what he says in verse 32. The word of his grace. The gospel which we too have. You see, friends, because these leaders believe in the gospel and have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they and the church that they're shepherding are now in the hands of God. For it is only through the gospel was this church built up in the first place. The gospel united these people and made them as one family of God. It was the gospel that was preached that caused this family to grow in number. And Paul understands that it was ultimately not because of his work, his effort, his competence, his mamba mentality that got this church this far, but it was because it's always been the will of God to save these souls through faith in Jesus Christ. As such, it is as well through the faith in the gospel is the future of this church and these people's cure. For because if we have faith in Jesus, that means the Holy Spirit is already now at work in us, sanctifying us, making us holy, having cleansed us from the guilt of our sin, and teaching us to live like Christ without sin. And eventually, friends, God will finish the good work He has started in us. He will perfect us in holiness and His salvation, such that when the time comes when we have to stand before the throne of God to account for our lives, we can approach Him with confidence and grace. And our Lord will tell us on that day, well done, my good and faithful servant. It is then, friends, when we'll all receive this glorious inheritance that Jesus is now preparing for us in heaven. And on that day, we have no less days, as the song says, to sing God's praise than when we first begun. No time has been lost. Friends, the most comforting thing in the world for the Christian is knowing that those who you love believe in the gospel because we can be assured that whatever happens God loves them that he is working all things for their good and even if the Lord calls them home first we know that we'll see them again in glory where the faith will be sight and we'll enjoy the fullness of God's love together forever nothing can take that from us. Nothing in heaven and earth can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is our only hope in life and death. You know, in about a week, my younger brother will be leaving for college. 
And my parents are advanced in years and are a bit emotional, you know, the whole empty nesting. And we realize, you know, how imperfect we are in the process of getting him to this point. I myself has made many mistakes and there's a bit of anxiety in there, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen to him out there. We don't know what kind of people he'll meet and what kind of problems he might face. And there are plenty of horror stories in our parents' WhatsApp groups telling us about how the kids in foreign countries have gone astray. And it's scary because we're not going to be around to help him out anymore, right? He has to be out there on his own. But what comforts our family and what we meditate on to get us through this season of anxiety is that he's not ultimately on his own. He was baptized into the covenant family. He has grown up around the gospel in a Christian family, being brought to church. He went to school that taught him the gospel and has been poured into by faithful gospel-believing teachers. And all we can do is trust that he belongs to God, and God loves him, and the Holy Spirit can help him much more than we ever could. And I feel like that's the case with all our relationships. The best thing we can do is give them the word of grace and trust that his grace that has taken us here thus far will lead them home as it will lead us. So if any of you here today are not sure that you're you will persevere. If any of you here today are not sure that you belong to God and that you will receive this abiding love that we can have in Jesus Christ, He is offering this to you right now. He will take care of you if you accept Him as Lord. Will you take it? But if you do confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, Paul's instruction to us is what he says in verse 35, because we have been saved by the gospel of grace, therefore, we must help the weak and remember the, Lord of our, the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? God, through our text today, is inviting us to embody the gospel, to enjoy this unique blessedness of self-sacrificial love it is a life that can find joy behind all suffering peace in any tragedy jesus and paul certainly experienced that kind of joy do you want that and we certainly are not short of opportunities there are plenty of needs in the church there are plenty of people you can serve there are plenty of things that threaten the church and there are plenty of those who are weak and need the gospel preached to them over and over and over again, including ourselves sometimes. So if you do say, Christian, that you love the Lord, will you tend to his sheep? I pray that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, blessed are you, Lord, for giving us the gospel of grace that will allow us to persevere and to pull through at the end of our days. Lord, allow us to have your heart. Allow us to see how precious 
you see our lives are and the lives of the people around us are to you. Give us this heart of yours that we may be moved to serve them not out of obligation, not out of a heavy heart, but out of joy. The joy of knowing that you have given yourself all of yourself to us and have spared nothing such that you can ensure that we will receive this glorious inheritance that we can look forward to, that we will enjoy with you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.